Well, another question I had. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about, you know, your experience and in, in growing up as a basketball, you're half Korean, half Canadian. So your dad's Korean. Is he is he from Korea or he grew up in America? Korean? He's actually from Japan, oh, but then grew up in America since he was 18. Man, that's an interesting experience because being Korean in Japan, where he yeah. wasn't considered a citizen. And a lot of people don't know that, that there's a huge Korean population in Japan, but they don't get the citizenship. And yeah, and there's just like a, a, a messy history too, yes. regarding like the wars and just like mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. use of Korean women and all these types yeah. of things. So he, he actually was born in China. And then when he was really young, I think like one years old or two years old, his family had to flee China and went to Japan. It's interesting. He he had a very interesting childhood growing up mm -hmm. and one that he doesn't look back on super fondly. There's parts of it that he does, but there's a lot of other things that he doesn't look back super fondly on. He was raised actually to be a priest. So he was raised in a really strict religious household and went to these like Christian, it was like American missionaries or like these mm -hmm. people that are out there for like the military children were going to this school, mm -hmm. like the white yeah. military children from America and stuff. But so when he came to the US, he like really tried to leave the, all that behind. And he became like this super hippie dude in Berkeley when he came to the US and kind of just like anti-government and anti-religion and all these types of things. And I think like as he's gotten older, there's been this process of like recognizing that there was still a lot of like beautiful and good things about his time that he spent in Japan and trying to like hold on to those while also moving on from the things that like the bad experiences he had there. But it's like kind of something that he hasn't talked a ton to me about, like what it was like being this Korean in, in Japan during that time, you know? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where like I'm as a mixed race person, I already kind of feel like I don't have a home team. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that like one of my home teams is Korea, but my dad never lived there. He actually lived in Japan. So like half of my Korean culture is actually Japanese culture. It's like even more muddying to me in terms of like my racial identity. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm half Korean. But like, am I half Korean or am I kind of more like a quarter Korean and a quarter Japanese? Because that's like the culture my dad grew up. You know what I mean? It just yeah. kind of mm -hmm. muddies it up a little even more. One interesting thing, uh, you, when you're talking about your dad's experience and him like leaving, distancing himself from his experience was that that movie, I guess it's called Minari with the Steve Yoon, the Asian dude from Walking uh -huh. Dead. It's a movie about immigrant, Asian immigrant moving and then, you know, moving to Kansas and immersing themselves in the American dream to help their kids live a life that was different from what their experience was in their homeland, especially during like, you know what I'm saying, you're growing up post-World War II time or World War II time, depending on how old your family is, and experiencing like what's going on like all throughout the Pacific and Asia, that, that span of 30, 40 years was crazy. But anyways, uh, on to my next question was, as somebody who is Hapa or uh, mixed uh, culturally, how did that affect your upbringing, the way you know you, you perceive the world as an individual, you know, coming up from, you know, a dual cultural reference point? Um, and then right. also, I guess the follow-up is like, how did that affect your way and how you then navigated the hip hop world? I think it had a huge impact on me. Like it, I, looking back on it, growing up in Sebastopol, I always felt like I was Asian, not white. Yeah. And it's because there were so few Asians up there. So like, I always felt like the Asian kid. And then the minute I left Sebastopol and went to college 
and there were actually a good amount of Asian kids at my college, I felt super white. And I was like, holy shit, like I'm not Asian at all. I don't know any of these things these people are talking about. I didn't grow up in a household like this at all. And it's always kind of been that way for me. Like even in terms, I've always felt like I'm kind of like stuck in the middle somewhere. And like, even in terms, I played sports my entire life. You could almost call me a jock, but then I was also like a nerd and a hippie a little bit too. And like the sensitive dude or like, I just always felt like I didn't fit in is kind of what it was. Like I fit in somewhere in the middle or like I fit in by having like one foot over here and one foot over there. But mm -hmm. ne I never felt like I had two feet in, in somewhere. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that I've just kind of like experienced my whole life. And it's definitely shaped my like worldview, I think by almost being, being a little like, I feel like I can see multiple sides, like, no, that's not my experience, but I could see how that could be one's experience. And I think in terms or how that's manifested into my hip hop career is I've never felt like I, I fit in somewhere comfortably so much so that like almost being somewhere in, uncomfortable is what's comfortable to me now. Like there is no pocket for me to fit into. So like I need to be in multiple pockets at once and like have a foot in a few different worlds. And that's how I feel comfortable not being fitting a mold kind of you know my mom's chinese and my dad's black so for me um growing up you know with uh, the stark contrast between the two cultures was something that like i had to kind of navigate because it wasn't it wasn't one singular way of being and not even that like blackness or chineseness was one singular way of being but mm -hmm. when you're in an environment that is one culture there is a there is something to that so when i went to uh college you know what i'm saying you know saying I wasn't I I think I've always been more perceived as some weird mix of something or more black. But when I got to college, like I definitely did not connect with the the Asian, you know, population. That was a similar experience for me. Like I, I was able to like find my group, but also still find multiple groups. But I definitely felt like like, oh shit, these motherfuckers is like real authentic. <laughs> but no, I, yeah. I can definitely I can definitely uh you know resonate with you saying like kind of keeping your foot in multiple different places as as a skill or a tool the same thing happened to me when i went off to college you know because uh you know my diversity and the mix of half black and half amazing you know i have to tap into both sides in college <laughs> you know that helped me really good with the gymnast <laughs> yeah, those uh, those cow gymnasts that helped me well with them Hoppers was in in the 90s i tell you what jay lately you was born a little late you would have been around in '94 in college around that time, man. You would have been you would have been the main competition, a friendly competition though, friendly competition, man. I was right there with, I was right there with. You know, it's funny. My friends that were like like either like straight Filipino or straight whatever, they always felt more competitive with the hoppers, the Asian hoppers. To me, it was a magnet, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> it's a magnet. I'm trying to hang out with you. <laughs> We're going to do this together. So, Jay, I, I had asked you, I wanted to know um, another question, then I have a little fan mail, and then we can get to uh, our Cutty Corner shout-outs. But uh, uh, I had asked you about who were, like, your top five most influential uh, artists or uh, independent artists. It could be either or. Um, yeah. I just thought independent artists because Pedro is big into independent hip-hop and, uh, and underground hip-hop. Did he say he was big on independent? Or what, Pedro? 
Uh-huh. Yeah, because remember he 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 was talking about uh, remember all these fools kept dying and Pedro kept bringing them up on all his cutty corner shoutouts and he's like yeah man you know what I'm saying I forget the name of some of the dudes that but he's like yeah he was big and made this song or he was part of this I know group. he was a big he was a big Jay Dilla fan he was big on MF Doom you're right he wasn't independent okay I changed that back yeah, yeah that's why I, but Pedro couldn't make it today so but but that that was because I know he 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 got Jared some asked me the same question I told him I don't listen to Aaron's right. like man if it ain't yeah. Donnell Jones or- no I do, Jared come on now. I Introduce you now. I do listen to rap now. You know what it is? It's this. It's this. It's that. I grew up. I, I like rap from like in L.A. We had when I was growing up. We had 1580 K. It's the only radio station that played rap. Most uh-huh. of it was from New York. And then when Ice T kind of blew up, then we started getting like more L.A. rap based on Ice T. Promise you can play shit on radio, right? right? Most of L.A. stuff you couldn't play on radio because they didn't do what they do now. There was no clean album, explicit album. It was uh-huh. one damn album. My mom took away my ad, the original NWA and the Posse tape. I only had like eight songs. My mom took it. She, I, I was playing in the house. You know how I left it in my sister's car. And then she she took my sister's car out one day. It came back. When I got home from school, she said, you ain't getting that tape back. I took it, right? Uh, I told her it's my sister. And I kept her from throwing it away. And I had to take it off her dresser like two weeks later. But, uh, but I was telling Jared when he asked me about the independent artist, I said, you know what it was? Is that I felt like what hip hop was and rap was back in the day, I didn't have to go, it wasn't as as pop and commercial now. So I didn't have to go to, I didn't have to go to in, independent artists to get what I wanted, right? right? I didn't have to go that route where it didn't start selling out, or, excuse me, excuse my language. It didn't start changing and get more poppy <laughs> and, and become this multi-million dollar, billion dollar industry to like, you know, the early end of the nineties, early 2000s. And so, you know, after Puff Daddy started sampling everything, just fucking, they were sampling before, but not like he was, right? right. And and so for me, oh, like geez. that was when the independent artists, I think, started blowing up. Because I had a homeboy that was big on Hobo Junction. We used to drive out to some strange ass fucking places to get a Hobo Junction album out of somebody's car, and they'll throw in a couple of t-shirts just for showing up, right? right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then, you you know, you email somebody or call, you have to find and you know, and I think back then, like you started seeing the underground and more independent artists blowing up because the rap game was changing and becoming so poppy and so like yeah, I mean I th- I think like the, the people you were listening to were almost they were independent artists. They had just yeah, got I was listening to Tribe. Like, right. De La Souls, Jungle Brothers. I mean, the crazy shit is like hieroglyphics wasn't independent at a certain when when I, as far as I know, or like Souls of Mischief when they came out, they were signed to fucking like Jive Records. Or something that's like that, right? was, that's exactly what I told Jerry because he was like, "You're independent." I was like, "Dude, I, I love Tribe Called Quest. They were on Jive Records, right. right?" I was like, "I was like these artists, they weren't considered. They were on record." I said, "You might consider their music kind of sounding independent." Yeah, because it wasn't so poppy and sold out. Like, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm gonna keep using that word. Let me just apologize. Okay. I'm gonna keep using the word "sold out" because that's what rap. Somebody became. say common. Who? <laughs> he wasn't on the that, that black water for chocolate. Was not a sellout. Out. I was just playing, but that but the movies not though. A the movies. Out. But I bet. Yeah. But I bet I, I'd be interested to find out what label. Like I bet, like water for chocolate was not an independent. I, I feel like that was Jive too. Right. But that was the thing. Like I told you, I didn't. You didn't have to go independent. The rise of MF Doom and all these other artists started coming because rap was hitting this place where they didn't want to make that music, right? right. They didn't want to make this, 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 and you started even like Snoop Dogg first album, like think about his first album compared to his later albums, right? right. Like it was like, are you serious Snoop, right? Like, I mean, you know, right? And yeah. I didn't like the Doggy Style as much. It wasn't one of my favorite albums growing up, but I was still like, are you serious compared to the later albums when it's like, 
all right, this is where rap is headed. But by again, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna listen to my own rap shit, right? right. You know, I'm not gonna go ahead. Where Pedro loves being able to move forward, so he was like, hey, he he discovered MF Doom and all these other people in LA and and these underground. He got into you know, that. LA LA had like like I I was thinking about my my top five kind of uh, like mm-hmm. re- two and a half are from like LA like. LA's underground rap scene in independent rap scene in like the early 2000s was fucking killing it or like 2010 yeah like it's like where Kendrick that's where Kendrick Lamar came out of like uh-huh. I remember going to show because that's right when I was going to school down there and the, like there were a number of people like Don, I don't know if you're familiar with Dom Kennedy Dom Kennedy's someone I've, re- I've always uh-huh. really fucked with um he's kind of in like that Nipsey hustle world of those but even Nipsey like like um Pac Div, I don't know if you know Pacific Division. There, there's some of these, some of these artists were like bigger than Kendrick Lamar at that time. It was all like this, this little underground LA scene, and like Kendrick Lamar was part of it. Nipsey was part of all these people, but he like sprung out of there onto like this global superstar level. But he was a independent LA artist in like, as far as I know, like 2010, who was just kind of running around like the rest of these guys. Uh-huh. And it's funny you say that because see, I got a homeboy that's in Florida uh, who's been on the show a lot, uh, Jay Zeus, as, as Jared calls him, and he loves LA underground. So he was shocked because he grew up loving like you know also Tribe Called Quest and those groups. He's my age, and so yeah. when we met like back in 2010, he would constantly and I was like, dude, I don't know these underground artists. He was like, how are you from LA? I don't know the underground artists. I was like, I didn't. I got what I needed. I was I, I, I stalled my rap music. Right. I like yeah. stopped it at that point. Like. You know yeah. what? See, I that was like that was right. In, I I get you because I'm kind of like that. Like that's almost the fair. Like I that was right during my college years. So yeah. that was kind of my biggest consumption years of mm-hmm. of new shit. And it was like right when like blog era, early blog era shit was blowing up, kind of. And like, please tell me that uh, DJ Mustard wasn't underground. Please tell me he wasn't. No, nah, I, I mean I I don't know exactly. Not like the first time I heard about DJ Underground or uh, DJ Mustard was a. Uh, I was about to say YG. Shit. Yeah, that's all he usually was with YG. Yeah, but um, I mean, I think I think those worlds. The the one thing about it too is these worlds are so much more like intertwined Mm -hmm. now, um, which I think is a good thing that like there are people who sound underground who are getting record label deals, and Mm -hmm. then you know what I mean. Like I I think yeah, yeah, people people pulling a a, a Leon. uh, What's that singer Jared Leon Watts? Whatever that that new singer. Ooh. That sounds old. His name is Leon something. Leon oh, Bridges. Leon Bridges. Leon, Leon Bridges. Bridges. You know the yeah. guy that came out acting like he was a uh, act like he was independent, but really hey, man, he was a black hipster. He was lying his ass off, man. He, he performed <laughs> at South by Southwest. Everybody kept talking about man Leon Bridges. Man, that dude was ultimate marketing tool. Like we're gonna right. market him as a singer songwriter, which he is. Which he a is. lot of these main. A lot of these big labels now, though, are buying independent labels. Yes, for that right? reason. And so it's coming out on, you know, like mm-hmm. underdog records, but underdog is owned by bigger. Sony. And yeah. it's like, you yeah. know what I mean? Whatever. And they got the backing. It's not just owned, right? right. It's, got, yeah. it's worse than, it's like Coors buying all my great beer companies. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, real bitter about that. He had a couple of small beer companies. He like, they stopped producing once they Love. got bought up. First, they, no, they produce for a little while, but then you start noticing the difference in taste. They uh, produced it under the same name, and you're like, something's changing. And then you'll find someone that's still one of the few people that still work there, or had a or bartender, and knew someone that worked there. It's like, man, they got bought out by Cures a year ago, two years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that shit happens. Um, so, okay, so what's the top five? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so uh, I, I was thinking about it. it. It goes back to like older folks who I don't even listen to as much anymore. But but like these are like my core ones was like Fonte. I don't you guys probably aren't familiar with Little Brother out of North Carolina. Oh, Little Brother. Yeah, that's the shit. Okay. Thanks to Pedro. I got nothing but Little Brother burn CDs. Yo, <laughs> little brother, I'll like, meet you at Palm Springs. Be your computer. We am going to burn this Little Brother. <laughs> I had more Little Brother and Jay Dilla blank CDs and he wouldn't he wouldn't write the titles on them. I just got to pop them and figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were they were like life changing for me, especially mm-hmm. the the rapper Fonte in there. He's he's like my number one, I think. Um, but then uh, Dom Kennedy, like I said, um, Evidence, who's one of the one of the dudes from Dilated Peoples, who you guys probably know. Mm-hmm. Some of the yeah. Shit. Um, atmosphere. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Atmosphere. I've heard of atmosphere. Minnesota. Um, uh, blue. Oh, this rapper named Blue. Blue in Exile. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a rapper okay. and producer out of L.A. He's he's a dude. This dude. It was literally like I discovered him right when I was going to college down there, and uh, right maybe right before I moved down to L.A. And then he was like doing little pop up shows and release parties, and so I got to go see all these like little things. And he put out this album called Below the Heavens, which was like a fucking class it's like a hip underground hip-hop classic album like this shit sold out of press like i think they had to do a whole repress of it or whatever and it's it's like an underground independent hip-hop classic like the way like a Nas, you know or like a fucking jay-z's reasonable doubt is or some shit but like and then he got signed to warner brothers i think he just kind of took this big ass check and made a shitty album to say fuck you to warner brothers a little bit and mm-hmm. like I don't he's had a weird career, but like there's this one fucking album that was just like life changing. And I feel like all these artists that I talk to that are like a similar age as me, like we were all affected by this album that like most of the world doesn't even know about. But it's an amazing album. If it, I, would, I would recommend if you guys haven't listened to it, go listen to Below the Heavens by Blue and Exile. All right. Yeah, all right. So, did you, heavens, this is a quick question. Do you think that uh, going to college in LA really influenced your hip hop and your experience in your career? Big, like hugely. Um, mm-hmm. Like prior prior to that, I was listening to when I lived in Sebastopol. I was listening to what was on the radio, which was mm-hmm. like at that time aftermath, like like Dr. Dre, Eminem, Fifty Cent, The Game. Yeah, all that shit was dropping around that, and I and I fucked with it heavy. Like I liked that mu- music a lot. Um, I guess like Jay-Z was obviously on the radio, all that shit, mm-hmm. Puff, Puffy, all that shit. And I liked all that. And then the other shit I heard from my brother was like Nicotina, Yuck Mouth, uh, Brother Lynch Hung, like all that shit. I was stealing <laughs> those from my older brother. So mm-hmm. I had those two things, but neither of them, I didn't fit into either of those worlds. The, yeah. Like I liked listening to them, but neither of those worlds were me. And so it was when I went to college was the first time. And it was kind of right around when like, napsters first started hitting hard and like like it was just an age of discovery and being exposed to a bunch of shit that didn't have to be in your city mm-hmm. necessarily and it was yeah. my first time seeing all this variety of stuff that was out there that i'd never heard of and then when i went down to la it was also close to me looking back on it now i'm like i was in sebastopol the bay area was fucking an hour away from me i could have been driving down here in high school but i think it was in college, I, I started being able to go to like 18 and up shows and shit like that. And we were only like 45 minutes from L.A. So like every other weekend I was driving into L.A. to go to some sort of show. And it just opened up. It, it opened my mind up. It was the first time where I was like in a, physically there. 
yeah. prior to it, I had just been like in my bedroom engaging with this shit. You know what I mean? And it was the first time where I physically got to be there. And, and yeah, it changed. It definitely do you, changed. Do you think the geography? Because I've talked to Jared about this a few times. And I said to Jared, like, I feel like the Bay Area is really safe for music artists, right? It's a really safe place. And I had a friend once tell me she, her boyfriend was an artist. He played like they were like a rock band or something. And I remember she told me like, he will only get so big if he just stays in the Bay Area. So like, you got to leave here, like, mm. to grow your career. You got to leave here. She was moving to Chicago. She was like, even if you don't move with me, just move somewhere else, right? Because right. I feel like, and I feel like, even as far as like hip hop rappers, like the Bay Area is a real safe space, but it's a bubble. And yeah. I, I, and I was telling Jared, not to be wrong, but I was telling Jared, I feel like, like you can grow your career, grow who you are as an artist by leaving here and living somewhere else for a little while, right? I was thinking about. uh like some of the younger Bay Area rappers that might be around your age, a little younger, like C5, right? Uh, I don't know if you heard of C5. No. From the Bay Area. No, but no. He's, he's gotten kind of big now, this and that. He's younger than you, uh, but he's growing up. He he went, grew up in the Bay Area, was rapping out here, went to college at Long Beach. Uh, and then you saw this whole kind of like change in his style a little more. Yes. And then, you know, it's like, wow, I really like, um, you know, it sounds good too. Yeah. And I, I think that has an influence on it. Do you think that that had an influence also? I think, um, I don't know. Like, I, th I think th there definitely is a thing and it's like undeniable. You don't want to say that it's hard to blow or like to, to become successful in the Bay. Like you would, we all I mean, want it can happen, but it can yeah. happen, but, but, but it is true that it, like, I think there's a lacking amount of industry here. So like in terms of artists and creators where the Bay area is exploding with talented artists and creators yes. in terms of people creating that industry and that infrastructure and those pathways for all these like, amazing artists, I don't think that's there as much. And so I think that's why you see so many Bay Area artists moving to LA or um, New York or somewhere like that to go tap into these industries because I think I don't think that is as present in the Bay Area where those there's those playmakers to kind of connect the dots for you. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why you see people leaving. But like, for, I mean, for me, my personal experience was I, I wasn't like I grew you know, growing up in Sebastopol, it wasn't like I wasn't connected with the Bay Area like that. It's not like I left the Bay and went to L.A. and was yeah, yeah. immersed in this culture that I had never had access to in the Bay. I wasn't connected to it when I lived here originally because I was up in Sebastopol. I wasn't coming down to Oakland and San Francisco for shows during high school and shit mm -hmm. like that. Um so like creativity, creatively, I don't know if that like changed it or not for me, but I I, I definitely feel like there's not, there's no one in the Bay here kind of like connecting the dots for me. <laughs> I'll tell yeah, you that much. True. Like I'm connecting every single damn dot that's being connected right now mm -hmm. for the most part. But I think that also we're in an age of music where you can do that now. Yeah. And, um, and just because of the internet and whatever, like I could physically be in the Bay and still be working heavily with people in LA or in Nashville yeah. or in fucking New York connecting dots for me and putting me on planes and all that type of shit and still live right here you know what I mean so yeah yeah well we got Pixar here in the Bay so like if you on your visual arts shit you know what I'm saying you right can, this is what we got here <laughs> the music yeah I guess hey, you know I'm, I'm it's one of your goals to have somebody when you in public say this to you People took to the streets to celebrate the return of their king. Oh shit, my nigga MLK! Ha <laughs> ha! Hey, what's up, folks? Hey, that kind of dream shit was off the chain, nigga. 
<laughs> that, is that, is that a goal? <laughs> it wasn't before. <laughs> yeah, it is now. I guess one other cl- question, because, you know, being on, um, having toured the independent scene, um, I know a couple of people who have done like stand-up comedy and there's definitely like a culture and like watching some specials also and hearing comedians on a couple podcasts talk about kind of like the culture of being on a touring scene with the independent or just or stand-up comedians uh, with kind of the the indie scene or the touring scene from which you experienced. Um, is there something about the culture? Is there is there a, a culture? And then what about the culture is, makes it super unique, um, would you say? I think... I mean, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the in the comedy community amongst really up and coming folks, but mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of love between co- comedians and that there is this camaraderie mm-hmm. that in all honesty isn't necessarily there in the underground independent scene. Like it's a lot of a lot of the times there is this very like crabs in a bucket mentality kind of. And I, and I experienced that touring a lot of like going to different cities and we got different people opening up right or like performing with me on a bill who have no idea who i am Mm -hmm. and that like it it is just a lot of like us writing each other off because we don't know who each other are or because who the fuck is this person coming here thinking they can do this type of thing Mm -hmm. feeling and and it's it's kind of sad because it's like you know like, like all of us could shine there's enough people to enjoy all of our music Someone yeah. can listen to my album today and listen to your album tomorrow and we'll both be fine. You know what I mean? Ugh. Like, and, 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 and that feeling, but I think it, it's because it, it's an interesting thing because be, being an up and coming independent rapper became like fucking oversaturated completely mm-hmm. like over, you know what I mean? Like you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody who says they rap, at least in the Bay area nowadays, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And it's, and it's like that too. in in, Flagstaff, Arizona, and it's like that too, and wherever you know what I mean. So, it's an interesting. It is kind of weird. Like, there's not this camaraderie because there's so many fuck. There's so many of us. You know what oh, I mean? Like, man. there's too many of us. Yeah. And so there's not there's not that camaraderie. But the camaraderie that I love about touring is like your touring group, like who you are, who you're in that van with, or who you're yeah. in that bus with, and that is something amazing and i think that kind of relates a little bit more to like this feeling of maybe what these in these comedians are talking about uh-huh. is like there, there's people that i would never be friends with but i've been on tour with and i have like a connection with and it's it's almost like when you go to summer camp with someone is you know yeah. if, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if you ever spent time at like a sleepaway summer camp but like you come mm-hmm. back and like these people are like in your heart in a way that just from that one week experience could yeah. like feel deeper connection to these people and it's like there's something about that you're just go- grinding it out you're going on shitty ass long drives eating shitty food but you're also like at the same time having some of the most amazing highs together but you're also struggling together you're out there it's kind of like no one else in really like idaho falls is looking out for us today other than the seven of us that are in this van together yeah. so like mm-hmm. these are your only people that you can turn to 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 take care of you or you know to have your back today or whatever mm-hmm. and that is a beautiful thing like those bonds that get formed on tour i yeah. think are a beautiful beautiful thing that's dope yeah I, from what i've gotten from the comedian side is is it's um is there's definitely also like a culture of you know what is it drinking or drug use so mm-hmm. i don't know what the it sounds like that was a little bit had a more darker tinge to it 
though mm. at times because you know you know some of the you think about some of the comedians who have died due to drug overdoses or alcohol you know and just you know living that 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 um that life i actually got to get i gotta get you know that's what we gotta get on here also aaron is mike Delapena because you know he toured uh and did stand-up shows and he yeah. was telling me about that and it was just it was like a, it was definitely a culture and then listening to some podcasts about some of these comedians who like came up together and were friends like it's, it's super that's super interesting too but um that's interesting yeah i, I feel like uh uh it sounds kind of like y'all are uh y'all were like having those experiences and and you're just praying it's not like green room when you go to a place like flagstaff you seen that movie oh, green room Ugh. I see oh, Green Room. The Green Room was crazy, crazy. Ugh. It was this punk band, and they're like they're trying to make ends meet, and you know, and they 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 book a gig through some friend of one of theirs who's like, I got a job for you, and it's like up somewhere in Oregon, super remote, and ends up being like a crazy like a neo Nazi like bar slash club, Ugh. and they're like not with the shit, but they get there, and then there's some wild shit happens, and they end up getting locked in the green room, and it's just it's like a horror movie kind yeah. of, but it's like it's like you get to a place where you're like. Like you're saying, like you know, you got to uh, Flagstaff, and you're like, I'm not supposed to. I don't feel comfortable here. Some, <laughs> some don't feel right here. Like um, that, that kind of shit would be. Uh, that shit would be super, super dope and unique. But also, um, I could see where it'd be like really galvanizing for a group of people, as you guys are all experiencing these uh, these new things or these unfamiliarities together, right. and how you guys support each other. Um, and it's like when you type. come out on top of something like that too, especially like you know. If, it's like it's like being on a, a championship sports team. Like mm-hmm. all those it's days of throwing up at six a.m. in the morning while you were running wind sprints mm-hmm. after you win the championship yeah. feel beautiful. Just to be yeah. clear, I didn't win no championships uh, <laughs> with that with those teams. I thought it was a waste of time by the end of the season. <laughs> right, but if you win, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean. <laughs> but no. but you know what I'm saying? Where when you come mm-hmm. out on top, it's like you you look back. All those struggles are actually feel like a beautiful thing. Yeah. In the yeah. moment, changing that flat tire on the side of the road for two hours might might have felt shitty, but but when you finish the tour and you got some money in your pocket and you got new fans and you got all these good memories, mm-hmm. the person that helped you change that tire for two hours is has a special place in your heart, kind of. Not for you. And that's the beauty of doing things with people. Yeah. So yeah. I tell you this: when I traveled alone the world, I went around the world, and I did it by myself. It was like my second time traveling outside the United States. I was like, dude, I'm gonna do another trip by myself. It's gonna be great. And then but some of those, when you hit those down points and you by yourself, it's like, oh, shit, I ain't got no place to sleep tonight. Yeah. I stay awake on this bus bitch. When you're with somebody, then like two years, few years after that, I went, went and traveled with someone for the first time. And we'll hit some crazy ass shit. We got detained. You know, yeah, military yeah. police pull off buses and we could just laugh at it. Like, oh, yeah. man, what an experience. We went through this together. When you're yeah. by yourself, you don't have that same feeling like. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I, just, I just think about the shittiness let, let me let me tell you a quick story about what recently a time of sleeping on a bench by myself on tour. <laughs> so i got uh i got booked to go on tour in in canada with locksmith i don't know if you guys are familiar with locksmith mm-hmm. from R- richmond here um <laughs> and so we me and him had just done this whole u.s tour which was sick it mm-hmm. went really well we did like 33 shows around the u.s and then he got booked to go to canada for like 15 more and he was like look they're not paying you, but you can come and rock and have a free hotel room the whole way and just like sell your merch and shit. But like, I, I can get you, the, I can get you to come, but I can't like, they're not going to pay you for this one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, it. I've never toured outside of the country before. This is my first tour out international, international tour. Like, hell yeah, I'm coming. He's like, all you got to do is buy your flight out there and show up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So 
me and him were talking about it. We have we have a show in this in this little town called Prince George, Canada. It's like on the west coast at the very top of Canada. <laughs> so you're like almost in like the Yukon or like whatever's up there. Like you the, up near Alaska. Alaska. I've been there. Uh, I was on the Alaskan cruise. We stopped in Prince George. Bruh, it's nuts. So yeah. so I have no idea what this town is like. So but but so basically we have a show like Saturday night, right? And so Locke Locke is like, yo, I'm gonna fly in Saturday morning. They got us a hotel. We can check in at 12 or whatever. I'll meet you at the hotel. And so I looked at the price of flights for Saturday morning and they were like $200 more expensive than the price of flight for Friday night. <laughs> so like the overnight Friday night one. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to fly in. I think my flight lands at like 11 o'clock at night. I'll sleep in the airport. The couple of other guys were getting in at like 9 a.m. I was like, I'll just sleep at in the airport till 9 a.m and then link up with the rest of these guys and save $200 on my flight since I'm not getting paid for this shit right now. Wait, where were you flying into? What part of Prince George, Canada. You're flying into Prince George. Yeah. Okay. So little did I know. So I'm, I'm under the impression that airports stay open all night, right? Airports are open 24 hours a day. Not mm-hmm. these tiny towns. Not these fucking tiny towns, bro. <laughs> so I show up there and it's like one, one flight coming in and one carousel to get your bags. We all get off our flight. We get our bags. I go sit down on this bench and start laying down. Everyone leaves. And I'm like slowly watching just like no one be in this airport. And then I look outside and there was like 10 taxis out front and they're all gone. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm going to just catch some sleep. 10 minutes later, the security guard is like, yo, bro, you got to get out of here. Like, you can't stay here all night. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, airports are open all night. He's like, no, we close at midnight. Like, you got to go. And he's like, I, like all the taxis are gone though. And I was like, all right, I'll be fine. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to just like rough it out. I guess I'm just going to stay outside, you know, sit outside all night. I guess I got no other choice. So I go outside to sit down and I see a big bear statue. They had like a grizzly bear statue, like catching a fish, you know, like when, like you're in grizzly bear country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, and then I look around even more and we're in the middle of like a forest. It's like when you see a big forest that's been cleared out in the middle and there's like a landing strip. Mm-hmm. So I'm, fuck we're like there's no town there's no walking anywhere out here bro it's like you're in the middle of a forest so i sat at the front door of that airport all night long under the front light just like with my shit just looking around waiting for a grizzly bear to come get me that entire night but i just thought of that when you talked about traveling alone i was like man i would have loved to have a companion here anybody here right now with me through this night would have been amazing that's wild that's wild was it cold too or was it was it... cold as fuck man yeah it was like yeah it was super cold and so i had on like three luckily i had on my bag so i had i put on like a couple jacket or you know a jacket couple sweatshirts and that type of shit and i made it i made it perfectly fine and i was so happy at like 6 a.m when the security guard showed up to open that shit up uh, like you're back <laughs> good morning turn the heat on when, when's the baristas getting in here <laughs> right <laughs> so we got happy one barista he's like i am the barista motherfucker what you want hey um, i'm telling you i'm telling you when you buy yourself that's yeah. wild that's yeah. tight that you know but that's an experience man but it was granted it would have been it would have been nice to definitely have somebody be like, remember that time we slipped outside with the grizzly bear? Yeah, yeah. No. exactly. Or now I look back on it. and I'm like, you know, I could have just spent one hundred dollars in a fifteen dollar cab ride and just called that, you know, taking that hundred and fifty dollars. Like that would have been definitely the move. I've wasted one hundred and fifty dollars in the past couple of weeks that I could have just spent on that room that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Nothing beats the ambiance of a big wooden carved <laughs> bear and a salmon. <laughs> 
and yeah. uh, and the fear of your life that you're going to be like Liam Neeson in the gray or something, a bunch right. of wolves. I thought it was going to be some shit like that. I thought I was going to be trying to climb a fence to get on top of a house to like, you know what I mean? Stay, hide and shit. Like, oh, oh, shit. That's crazy. All right. All right. That's what's up.